My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. By the time you hear this, President Joe Biden will have delivered a primetime speech on the battle for the soul of the nation, end quote, on Thursday night, setting up key themes for the midterm elections later this year. Why is this speech such an important speech? And don't we already know what the key themes are? Marion McKeown of the Sunday Business Post and Today FM is here to explain with her trademark zero-nonsense clarity what the hell is going on in America this week. And sure, I'm excited to hear about it, but I'm more excited to hear her rundown of the cast of characters in the Republican clown car this year. Later in the show, I'll go through each one of them with her, from J.D. Vance to Dr. Oz, Marjorie Taylor Greene to Carrie Lake. Like any good clown car, there's more of them than you'd think, and we will try to fit them all in. We might not manage it, but this might be the most excited I've ever been for an episode, Marion. Am I wrong? Uh, well, I don't know if we're going to fit the mulling, so I have a cast of at least 40. So we'd, okay. we'd, you know, we get the key players. And, and uh, even the cast of 40 was pared down from the original, which was over 100. So, so we're really, we're, we're, we're narrowing down this clown car. It should be a clown bus. In fact, it should be a clown train, but, but we're, we're keeping it small. Well, yeah, well, maybe maybe it is a, a feature we're going to have to come back to. If we're, if we're looking at the number of 40, let's hit a few of the big names this week and maybe a couple that people won't have heard of. Because I feel like there's from the emails I'm getting, there is a real fascination with who these characters are and where they emerge from. But when it comes to this speech, Marion, President Biden has done a few open spots, as we'd say in comedy, a few teasers of what's coming. He's hit the topics in these speeches. How do you think he's fared in those? And are they the reason why Thursday's speech might be a bit of a damp squib or isn't lighting my fire? I actually think that Biden, this is the single most important battle in Biden's presidency. You know, forget inflation, forget gas prices. He really is right because we are talking about the soul of America, but not just the soul of America. America's future as a sustainable democracy is is really on the line. He spoke about um, last week, and I thought the way he did it was quite good in that he singled out the, the MAGA bros, the Trump MAGA base, the mm. firebrands, the QAnon subscribers, all that branch. And he said, you know, basically, I'm not talking about Republicans in general. He said, I know there are moderate Republicans, which are as scarce as hen's teeth at the moment. And I know there are reasonable Republicans, ditto. But he said, um, 
I'm talking about the MAGA semi-fascists. And, you know, people got all, oh, my God, how dare he? But he's right because you have to call this battle because it is a battle. Uh, the Republican Party is no longer the Republican Party. It's a party that endorses a form of authoritarian populism. There was a, a, a poll published last week that showed about half of Americans believe that there's going to be a civil war within the next decade. And, you know, well over half of Republicans believe that and, in fact, seem quite excited in some quarters about the prospect. Um, and there really is this feeling that, 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 you know, in America, and it's being positioned this way by politicians and by people and what they're saying, that they're, you know, it's coming down to this, as QAnon would have it, this battle for good and evil, like the satanic pedophiles versus Trump, who is going to restore American greatness. And I think that a lot of people don't subscribe to the QAnon level of crazy, but they do believe that um, a lot of America, a lot of America wants back the America of the 1950s, the America when white men reigned supreme. And when, as we've said before in this show, when women and minorities knew their places. And they, they believe that the America today, which is diverse, multicultural, etc., is an America that, that is not America, that it's destroying America. And so they will do whatever it takes as they see it to, to what they're calling save the country. And as Trump calls it, save America, which basically means to, to bring back an era of white nationalism, white supremacy. So that is, and I think Biden is going to address this because when you see the stuff that's going on, when the Republican Party, as we said before, starts sounding like the weather underground or some 1970s hippie group or, you know, to fund the FBI, it's all a conspiracy. They're like the Gestapo. You know, this is, this is crazy territory. This is supposedly the party of law and order, the party of national security, the party of upholding democratic institutions. And they're kind of, well, they, they have pulled back now quite a bit after the filings um, on, on, on the master's motion uh, about, you know, Trump and this appalling occupation of his home by the FBI, etc. I think the more that's coming out, though, the more they're all wishing, oh, dear God, why do we ever open our mouths? And you would think they would have learned by now that you really need to take a deep breath and possibly count to a million before you rush to Donald Trump's defense on anything, on anything. Yeah. Because you're so never going to get the truth on the first, second, third, or even fourth or fifth rounds. So what were the developments in relation to that? I, I had a few people send me images, extracts from this redacted document. What exactly happened this week with that? Well, what happened was, uh, as you know, uh, Donald Trump, it makes no sense. He, he now has a lawyer who's apparently going to cost him a, a few million dollars. He signed a multi-million dollar deal with him and good luck with that. His name is Chris Kyes. He's a very well-known tough as nails. He's known as the knife in Florida legal circles. And he was pushed onto Trump's team apparently by Florida Republicans who just said, look, this guy needs some legal help. He needs somebody who's, you know, who's going to know what they're talking about as opposed to lawyers that he's plucked off Fox, Fox News or wherever else he's finding them or under a rock or disbarred mm -hmm. or whatever. So um, anyway, he's leading it now. But what happened before that was, as, as we know, the legal action basically uh, separated into two parts. One was the one where the the um, the the search warrant was authorized, and and that was done through a, a magistrate. And then Donald Trump brought another action, saying that he wanted an independent master. This was after a hundred other things that he claimed that altered that to be nonsense. Uh, and he said he wanted a special master who would go through all of the documents independently and say, okay, that belongs to Donald Trump. 
uh, and that belongs to the government. Now, this I don't think in principle it's a terrible idea. It's never been done before, except in the case of lawyer client. Like when Michael Cohen um, was had his premises raided by the FBI, Trump's former lawyer who went to prison, uh, there was a special master appointed then, but that was to make sure that he, they didn't look into any of Cohen's non-Trump files. Because if you're a lawyer, you've got, of course, loads and loads of files. So that was the reason for that. But Trump is claiming that these documents, it's so crazy, he's saying, these documents have executive privilege. It, by very definition, if these documents are subject to executive privilege, he shouldn't have them in the first place. Hmm. He's no longer the president. Someone <laughs> needs to tell him. He's got no entitlement. It's not to how he sees it. It's not how he sees it. He thinks once the president, always the president. Exactly. But anyway, so this case, um, it, it went before a, a Aileen Cannon. She was a Trump appointee, but I don't think that should be necessarily construed as prejudicial, like there's a lot of, I think, unfair and unnecessary comment about her and a presumption, oh, she's appointed by Trump, therefore she's going to be a Trump flunky. That has not always been the case. As we saw in the election, the, the 2020 election challenges, that a lot of the Trump appointees just laid down the law and adapted the laws they sought. So anyway, she uh, Trump said, I need a master. We need somebody to go through this and to make sure they don't see my I don't know, birthday cards from Kim Jong-un or whatever. Uh, but but um and the FBI said, kind of knock yourself out was the subtext. And then they said, but we've already gone through all the documents. So what's the master going to do? We already know what's, what belongs to the government, which is pretty well everything that we took. And we already know, you know what belongs to you, which was what we gave you back, which was your passports. But anyway, the, Trump walked into another trap because he filed the motion before Aileen Cannon. And then the um, Department of Justice said, OK, we want to respond to that. Now, normally... A response is limited to twenty pages in in the Florida courts, and um, for you know for reasons of brevity and convenience, whatever. And she said, "Well, because this is so serious, you can basically you know run with it." So the Department of Justice filed a thirty-six page claim with photographs, which you mentioned, and they really stuck it to Trump and his lawyers in that, and they set out exactly the reasons that they had to do what they did. They also said very clearly that when their guy from the Department of Justice went down there in June, their top guy, that Trump's two lawyers, Evan Corcoran and Christina Dodds, um, handed over a sealed envelope with an affidavit in from them say, swearing that everything that they could possibly need was in that envelope. And it clearly wasn't, and they clearly lied. Now, if they did that at Trump's direction, Trump is also in for obstruction of justice charges. Those two lawyers, and I say this putting my very crude legal hat on, but they're going to lose their licenses at a minimum. They're going to be disbarred at a minimum. They filed a sworn statement about top secret classified documents that was false. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it just, it, it's kind of mind boggling. Now, as I say, the key will be if they say, well, we only did it because our client instructed us to do it. We were just following our client's orders, then obviously that lands Trump in, in the soup as well. So it's looking pretty serious for them. And they also set out, you know, all, as I say, the, 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 the everything that they had to go through, the nonsense that was going on, the toing and froing, the way the documents were stored or not stored, their concerns. And then they showed it, they included a picture of documents on the most 
god awful carpet I've ever seen. Terrible you know, it's carpet. So funny it has the to be was, I keep bringing this up. The interior design at Mar-a-Lago, <laughs> that's the real crime. <laughs> but I, literally a criminally bad carpet. I looked at that. I, I, I couldn't even, my attention went straight to the appalling brown swirly carpet rather than the top secret documents that were on it with huge top secret in red letters. But as I say, my first thought was literally, dear God, where did they get the car? <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So, so they've really shown very clearly, and, and Trump opened this door for them legally by, by looking for this master. Um, exactly. It, it basically gave the Department of Justice a second bite at the cherry, a chance to, on top of the redacted document, the partially redacted one that they published last week, to give another go at clarifying it and explaining what they were doing. And I think at this stage, there are really very few sane people left who don't believe that they did what they had to do, that, that, that it was really high time and past high time, arguably, that, the, that those materials and those documents and those secrets were taken back from Trump. And of course, there's all kinds of stuff coming out that apparently he had a dossier about Macron and it had details of his sex life. And, you know, you can actually imagine Trump going, oh, yeah, you know, I want to have a look at that because that's the sort of thing that does seem to titillate him and fascinate him. Uh, but uh, but overall, they're assessing the potential damage to security. And, it, it, you know, in doing that, they're putting all kinds of things into the matrix. Like, how long were these documents left unattended for more like, But they were in an unlocked basement. Some of them were found in Trump's office beside his passports, which suggests that, you know, he knew that everything hadn't been sent back because they were, like I said, it wasn't like they were stuck under a rug somewhere. They were in his office, as I said, beside his passport. So again, that implicates him further on obstruction of justice. Uh, so I, th I think that this is, none of this is looking good for Trump. Will any of it matter to his base? Probably not, because a lot of the justifications that I've heard in, in chatting to people is, well, you know, he is still the president, the same as what's going on in Trump's own mind. Like he's still the president, therefore he's entitled to have classified information because he really won the election. Now that's not going to get very far in mm, in any yeah. court. But you know that's that's you the, know, there's and, a certain amount of them telling themselves that because if you let go of an employee, you know they don't get to bring you know the company accounts with them. You know, no. you, that's what the that's what the whole cardboard box with your stuff exactly. in it is all exactly. about. Yeah. One final question, though, about the picture on the god-awful rug. Uh, the documents are pictured next to a frame, a selection of framed pictures in gold frames, as, you, as you'd right. expect. Uh, right. Time magazine is the cover uh, in one of them. The inclusion of that box in the photo I thought was interesting. Was that to imply that these... Uh, documents came out of that box and that they were somehow kind of, you know, put in there, snuck out essentially in a that box they of were, frame photos. You know, I actually wonder that. So I thought, now there's nothing classified. Like Donald Trump has had those. Um, and we all heard years ago that he faked a lot of them up himself, that they weren't mm. actually proper original covers. But, you know, there was the Time Magazine Person of the Year and there were other ones that may or may not have been genuine of him being person of the year on, you know, Barron's magazine and all these other magazines. So um, it looked like they were the ones in the, in the, the you know, the gold framed ones in the, in that pile, his kind of wall of honor, you know, and I don't know if that was meant to suggest, because if they're taking those, that's, you know, th that's just ridiculous. And frankly, on the, but unless they were part of a subterfuge or a way of concealing 
yeah. some of the classified documents. And um, that's the only reason I could I could see their relevance being there. I mean, it would be very very easy to cut them out of the picture. They didn't. They had no business being in the picture unless they're in some way connected to the ongoing concealment of documents. So I think we'll have to wait and see what comes out of that and, and at what point, because we really are speculating. But that struck me as odd as well. Let's loop back around to Joe Biden's speech. And the quote that people might have seen that was carried heavily on the news over here in Ireland was this one. We took on the NRA and we're going to take him on again. And we won and we will win again. But we're not stopping here. I'm determined to ban assault weapons in this country. Determined. I did it once before, and I'll do it again. How did that go down? And surely that made headlines over there too. Yeah, but not as much. I mean, for starters, it wasn't Biden who banned assault weapons. It was Clinton. You know, so it wasn't the Obama administration. Clinton did it in 94. Now, he did it as part of a big criminal justice package, which Biden was involved in the Senate in passing. So he could claim a tangential relationship to it, certainly. But I think that calling the call for abandoned assault weapons is very popular in I think in like a lot of Americans don't want young guys running around with assault weapons, even Americans who are happy to have guns and who believe Americans should have the right to have guns in their homes and they should have the right to have guns, you know, that are safely held, etc. But fewer and fewer Americans are, I think, especially Americans in the suburbs, Americans who are living in built-up areas, they don't want guns in their communities. If you live out in, in, you know, rural red states and you may need guns for pests if you, you know, if you have property, like to get rid of, of any pests, animals that might be attacking your, your ranch animals, whatever, or you just want it for target practice because you're bored, you know, when the sun goes down, whatever. Yeah. I don't think anyone has a problem with that kind of gun ownership at all. And even with just gun aficionados and even with those extreme groups, they have got the right to amass guns. But I think that the, that a lot of Americans, particularly post Uvalde and post so many awful shootings that we've seen, they, the single common thread in all of them is young men and assault weapons. And it seems that it will always be young men or for the most part, young men are, you know, men who are a bit older, maybe who are responsible for these mass shootings. But if you take assault weapons out of the equation, as we saw during the Clinton um, administration during that 10 years, um, then the number of mass shootings goes down. Mm-hmm. And the number of deaths from mass shootings, went, I think, halved during that that particular period. And that was before there were as many assault weapons knocking around as there are now, because now there, there there's a sea of them literally in the States. It would be very hard to ban them. You'd have to have some kind of a buyback program. I'm not sure. Look, anything is doable, but I'm not sure that Biden will have the mandate after November to do it. But I think, again, it's something that needs to be, I think, said. It's, And I think that Biden, he's never going to pick up Republican votes. He's never going to, you know what I mean? He's, he's so... He's right to appeal to Democrats and to the centre and to independents. And it's something that, as a matter of morality, I think is the right thing to do because the destruction and the devastation we saw in Uvalde that you can cause with an automatic weapon or a semi-automatic weapon, as opposed to if you have a, you know, a revolver or a knife or some other weapon where, yes, you can still do terrible damage, but not on the same scale. So I think this this was, as you say, a little... Um, 
a warm-up speech for the, for the Thursday night speech. But I, I think, again, that this, I think history will record that this as being a pivotal time in the United States. And I think Biden does have a very strong sense of history and where his place in history will be. And if he doesn't fight this battle, then I think it really doesn't matter what he fights. I think, you know, his climate change battles, his healthcare battles, his you know, all his other battles um, are, are going to fade into insignificance because they're things that tend to be cyclical. This is a continued systemic erosion of American democratic institutions. It's on a very different level. Well, I finished my own battle last weekend in Larne with the members of the Irishman Running Abroad squad as coached by Sonia O'Sullivan. The half marathon challenge is done. We are on to the next thing. But first, we need a suspiog, a small break to refuel and continue. Podcasting never stops, though, in case you haven't noticed. I have a really exciting piece of news for you. This Monday, our parenting podcast, the show I piloted for the ultrasound supporters of Irishman Abroad on Patreon, will begin its life in the free world on the Go Loud app and all free podcast platforms. Honey, you're ruining our kid is going public just in time for back to school. Even without the challenges of the last two years, raising your kids not to be gobshites is exceptionally hard. I don't know anyone who doesn't need a little bit of help. I don't know anyone who wouldn't feel a little bit better hearing what other people are dealing with. So here we are. The first ever episode of Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid, the parenting podcast from an Irishman abroad. This is a place where you get to anonymously submit your parenting problems and we will do our level best to answer them with the help of our resident child development expert, Tina Regan. You know when your child is lying. How do you get them to be honest without sharing them with all the Catholic guilt we were raised with? (laughs) I mean, what an effective tool that really was. Oh God, yeah, the ever watching eye. I mean, these kids are not afraid of us. (laughs) If they're displaying behaviours, there is a struggle there that we need to take a minute and watch and see okay what is behind that story what's behind that behavior i think children can feel pretty uncomfortable when they're doing their poops so Mm. they want to do it where they feel the most comfort and that is home maybe holding on to their mom's hand who knows and you know if they're not that's how i like to well i mean holding on to my mother's hand (laughs) (laughs) here's what i wish people would tell you when you're going to have a baby about sleep you're not going to get sleep until that child is at school. Stop seeking the sleep that's not going to come to you. Yeah, but I try to think what you were saying is, don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's Our okay God. to parent your child. If your child's on the ground having a tantrum, pick them up like a rugby ball and keep going. Subscribe now to Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid, the Zero Judgment Parenting Podcast. New episodes available for free every Monday on the Go Loud app and all podcast platforms. It's okay to admit that it's hard to raise your kids not to be gobshites. Email honeyyourruiningourkid at gmail.com with your questions and let Tina help. Anonymity guaranteed. Congratulations. Uh, thanks, Marion. Tina and I have been burning the midnight oil, getting this thing ready for liftoff. And now it's ready to go this Monday and every Monday, a brand new episode for free. If you already enjoy it on Patreon, why not tell your friends about it and get them to give it a go? As I say, brand new episodes every single Monday 
uh, all during term time. So anytime you drop a kid off at school, you'll have this waiting for you in your podcast <laughs> app to make sense of what the weekend has <laughs> just been. But before we get the usual suspects police lineup of Republican candidates from around the country, Marion, I noticed a few articles this week pointing out that virtually all the candidates are trying to disappear the hardline anti-abortion stances they took during their primaries. I understand it's long-standing practice for candidates in both parties to modify their rhetoric for general election audiences. But from what I'm reading, this year's messaging gymnastics are being referred to as next level. Is that correct? Yeah. And, you know, it's happening in the, a, a lot of, you know, the state legislators, just to put this in context for, for the gang out there, at the, you've got 50 states, okay? Now, at the moment, Republicans have a sort of a trifecta, you can call it, in about 23 states. That is, there are Republican governors and Republican-controlled state legislators, which include, you know, like many um, Senates and many Houses of Representatives. So America really is it's in a way, it's almost like Europe in that you have 50 different states and they all have their own state laws, state systems, mm. uh, local state doll, if you will, in, in every state. It's as if our, in every county in Ireland it had its own doll. It's that kind of a, it's that kind of a thing. So, but as I say, 23 of these are totally dominated by Republicans. In those states, they can, it doesn't really matter. They're red states, they're going to go along with it. But in the swing states, particularly where there are Senate seats up, like well, the, 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 the Washington, D.C. Senate seats where they're up for grabs, you know, you, you can't go with that extreme stuff that they're going with because, the, you know, there are only two senators per state. And whereas if you get a, you know, a, a gerrymandered constitutional congressional district, it's 100% Republican anyway. You can say whatever the hell you want and you're, they're going to vote for you because they're not yeah. going to vote for a Democrat. But with Senate races and with governor's races, it's a little bit different and a little bit more complex. So, yeah, there has been... You know, guys like Blake Masters down in Florida who went from being absolutely all out and wanted to introduce this law called the personhood, the Arizona personhood law, which would basically say that a fetus from the moment of fertilization has the same rights as any other person on the planet. Therefore, any abortion would be murder and would be treated as such. And there would be no right to a woman's health, you know, being being given priority. So, you know, that that. In, in a situation where the life of the mother was being threatened because a fetus under this proposed personhood law would have the same rights. Now, he's kind of like, for the purpose of, um, he's running against Mark Kelly, a pretty popular guy down in Arizona. He's a Democrat, but he's a very moderate Democrat. He's a former astronaut. He's the husband of um, uh, Gabby Gifford, who was shot in, in the head by, by a gunman. And um, when she was doing a, con a congressional stop in Arizona several years ago, uh, she did survive and she made a terrific recovery, but she's no longer a politician. She runs an advocacy group for gun control now, but her husband is now the senator, um, one, the, one of the two senators for, for Arizona. And he's being challenged by this guy, uh, Blake Masters, who is very extreme on on any number of things. And, you know, he's an election denier and he's he's really pretty well one of the crazies. But now he's sort of going, oh, well, I never said that. I never said that. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not totally opposed to abortion. But it's, you know, I think it's, it's a little like bit too little too late. Though. Hold on one sec. Does nobody go, like, I know that these articles are appearing. Does nobody point this out? Like, is there no one on the news going, 
uh, every time they they perch up again, going, well, you've, you're changing your story. You're the very man who accuses others of flip-flopping, but here you are with a Brillo pad scrubbing your website of all this language. Yeah, you would think. Now, at some of the Arizona media, which I've been checking in on, and I, I know a couple of journalists down there who are terrific journalists, and, and they say, yeah, we're holding his feet to the fire, but they also say people don't really care. You know, like it basically, if if you're a Trump supporter and you're aligned with Trump and you're a MAGA guy, you're going to vote for him no matter what he says or does, no matter what he scrubs or no matter what he adds. Where he's having problems is with the moderates and the independents. And, you know, it, and it's not just women. This is the interesting thing that was yielded, I think, by the canvas. But you may remember in, in Kansas, I should say, a couple of weeks ago, there was a referendum in Kansas. Um, there, there had been a, a provision added to the Kansas state constitution that recognized a woman's right to abortion. And back about a month ago, they had a referendum uh, saying, this, you know, do you vote to remove this in, in light of the overturning of Roe v. Wade? And 69%, I think it was, or thereabouts of people in, Can in Kansas who voted, voted to keep it. So that it was a huge surprise, kind of punch in the gut for the, for the anti-abortion um, people because they kind of thought, well, it's Kansas. It's, it's such a conservative state. It's, you know, this is, this is never going to fly here. But it was shown that amongst the people who voted overwhelmingly to keep abortion rights in Kansas and who really bucked the trend were young men. And it makes sense to me. It's always made sense to me that you know, this like that men and women should have the right to decide when they want to start their families, when they want to plan their families. You know, that, that it, it's it's not just a lot of people see this as a women's right, and a lot of men in, in the state see this as a way of controlling women because they view it as that exactly. Um so if you take away the right to abortion, you really um it's it's a really a way of of taking away a lot of women's power, mm -hmm. you know, power in the workplace, economic power, independence, all kinds of things. Uh, so I I think that it's interesting that that um, Kansas proved to be such a surprise. But in places like Arizona, the the Trump guys are going to vote for Blake Masters no matter what. But he 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 will find it harder to get moderates, to get independents, and I think to get men and women who, who really don't agree with the total ban on abortion that's, that's in Arizona now. There are now, is it 12 or 13 states that have total bans on abortion, even in cases of rape or incest? And weirdly, Mississippi has an exception to that in that Mississippi has a total ban on abortion. Um, and the only exception it will make is in cases of rape. But if, it, if it, it's a pregnancy as a result of incest, then you have to have it. You know, I don't know what that says about Mississippi, but anyway, we, we won't speculate. Uh, it's it's so it's it's it, it's. I think now that, and we also need to look through the prism of like uh, two months ago, gas prices, petrol prices here were insane, and Americans were just freaking out. They were freaking out about inflation. They were freaking out about the economy. They were freaking out about all kinds of stuff. And now, gas prices have gone back down to pretty much where they were in 2019 petrol prices Why? you know that they're, they're not at like they're in even in california now you can get petrol for about 460 a gallon four dollars 60 a gallon you have to look mind you but in other in other states in in a lot of other states it's gone back to below four dollars so that that but what's this know, down that, to do you think marion is there any well, reason given 
Yeah, it's down to a couple of things. Um, now, Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia was lambasted, and I think it correctly so, uh, because the Saudis had already decided they were going to release more oil. And they've done that now. You know, it was nothing to do with Biden's trip, although the Democrats would like to claim that it was. But it was already an a, a, a economic decision by the Saudis. Also, the price of gas dropped because a lot petrol was being the prices were being gouged by companies in America like ExxonMobil and all these companies. They saw this as an opportunity to send prices skyrocketing and to maximize their profits, even where it wasn't warranted. So people stopped buying petrol. People stopped using their cars and the the sales of petrol plummeted. So then they dropped their prices to as a way of encouraging people to, you know, start using their cars more again. And I saw it here in California that people were walking places. You know, it, it was almost amazing. <laughs> and they weren't taking their cars or they were carpooling or whatever because seven, eight dollars a gallon here, it's just not what people expect to pay for petrol. So now the prices have gone down. As I said, there's more oil available now. The markets have settled a bit. And, and also the, the American companies that were gouging customers have stopped doing it because it, it backfired basically. Mm, wow. Well, uh, I'm hearing all sorts from business owners in the UK who are facing the barrel of a gun in relation to yeah, the fuel yeah. prices and uh, power, uh, electricity. We don't know what we're facing into here now, and it's certainly breeding an awful lot of consumer uncertainty. I want to move on to our cast of characters, Marion, but we're reaching the halfway point in our discussion. Let's let's go for one and then we'll complete the rest of this segment of the clown train uh, over on Patreon. Dr. Oz is the first one on the list. Okay. This, take us through who this man is. Okay. He ca- he was a heart surgeon originally, apparently a very successful heart surgeon. He then became a guest on the Oprah Winfrey show. He became very popular now, like very good looking guy, you know, very charming, typical charming doctor, um, you know, knew how to appeal to an audience, telegenic, all that. Uh, then he got his own shows. Then he started making his own um, vitamin drugs and diet pills and all kinds of things. Um, in fact, ironically, because he's running for the Senate now, as we know, he's running against a a Democrat called John Fetterman, who is, I think, almost certainly going to win. Uh, and we could talk about him too, another crazy guy, albeit in a different way, um, and a very charismatic character. But so Dr. Ross, the last time he was in the Senate was in 2014, and he was hauled up before a Senate committee, and he was eviscerated because he'd made all these claims about how his diet pills would totally turn you into, I don't know, Kate Moss in half an hour or whatever, and all these claims about his vitamin pills, and there was no proof for any of them. And in fact, there was some kind of a study done by a British medical magazine that showed in 40% of cases, the claims he made had no supporting value whatsoever. And in another about 20%, they were directly contradicted by the best medical and science information available. So not just was there no basis for them, in other cases, they were absolutely a crock and the, it, they were dem- demonstrably false. So he had to appear before the, the Senate. He was brought up and he got several slaps on the wrist, very hard from angry senators who said, would you go away with your quack medicine and your snake oil and go and cop yourself on? But he didn't. And he's made about $500 million out of peddling this, you know, health supplements and diet pills online over the, the last several years. Now, he one of the 
One of the first things that came up with Dr. Oz was he's a carpetbagger because he's not from Philadelphia. He's from New Jersey. He has three or four houses in New Jersey. He never had a home in Philadelphia until about a year ago. And then he bought this huge big pile, some big mansion. And, you know, Philadelphia is a state. It's one of those weird states. It's a purple state. It's got deeply red pockets, but it's also got a lot of working class people, people in towns like Pittsburgh, um, and th- that are have been through tough times, Scranton, all those places. And they kind of like Joe Biden's a typical Philly guy. He's from Scranton originally, and he's got that kind of gritty working class thing about him. Oz, you know, people are looking at him going, <laughs> what? where did they get him? And so not only does he have it turned out that he doesn't just have three or four houses in New Jersey. He also has another five or six in Turkey, in Florida, in Manhattan, whatever. And he said, at one point, he said he couldn't remember how many houses he had. Oh now, as I say, his his um, opponent, John Fetterman, is very good on Twitter, very good on social media and very witty and very funny. And he's just dancing all over his head, basically. But Oz has also done a lot of there was he went to a supermarket and he he starts on this thing saying Joe Biden this is all your fault look how much things are costing for ordinary people so he went to a supermarket to buy as he called it crudite <laughs> for he and his wife and you know Philip in Philadelphia they just don't you know it's, this is Philly cheesesteak it's burger it's deep fried food they don't go in for crudite. <laughs> I'm at Wegner's and I, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So here's a broccoli. That's two bucks. Not a ton of broccoli there. There's some asparagus. That's four dollars. Yep. Carrots. That's four more dollars. That's ten dollars of vegetables there. And then we need some guacamole. That's four dollars more. And she loves salsa. Yeah, there's salsa there. Six dollars. Must be a shortage of salsa. Guys, that's $20 for crudite, and this doesn't include the tequila. I mean, that's outrageous. And we got Joe Biden to thank for this. So this video was so mocked and so memed and so, like, it, it, it just looked ridiculous. And John Fetterman overnight raised a million dollars on the back of a video that he put out mocking it, saying, and it was called let them eat crudite. So again, this kind of like tone deafness for the state that he's in. And then he went to another place. It's called Patrigino's, which is, it's a bit like going to the Blarney Stone if you go to Ireland. It's in Philadelphia. It sells Philly cheesesteaks, which is, and it's it's a famous Philadelphia dish. It, I've had them once or twice. And they're, they're basically incitements to heart attacks. But anyway, <laughs> so he, he went there and Patent use, as I said, it's the cheesiest, most, no pun, but the most commercial, like the really. And uh, Fetterman t- tagged it the next day and said, ah, yes, the trip to Patent Gino's, a rite of passage for every tourist in the state. <laughs> and it, it really, it really is that. And and so it's sort of like everything that he's done has, has just been. And then there have been a couple of nasty things that he's done. Um, this guy that I'm talking about, John Fetterman, he was the um, lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, comes from a very wealthy family, but literally looks like he could be a MAGA bro. He's six foot nine. He's covered in tattoos. He's got a shaved head and a big, long sort of goatee beard. Um, and he, all he wears is a black hoodie, basically, and cargo shorts. But he's very popular in Philadelphia and he's seen as... Democrats, and I think they may be slightly more concerned about this, they kind of see him as the next Bernie Sanders, that he just has whatever that is. He's a young guy. He's, I think he's in his 40s um, or maybe early 50s. 
But anyway, he um, he has that charisma that you can't define, but you know it when you see it. And people mm. just respond to him. I've been at events of his and people just respond. And it would remind you of the way they respond to Bernie Sanders, where you almost can't quite get it, but yet you can. They just trigger something in their audience. And I think it is down to real authenticity. I think in both cases that they're seen as really authentic guys, whereas Oz is just comes across as such a phony, as such a media coached sort of oligamous kind of like just phony. Uh, so Fetterman's ahead by about 12 points at the moment, but he had a stroke three months ago. This is Fetterman, like hmm. six foot nine. He was about 400 pounds at the time. Yeah, so like a big guy in every sense. And uh, so for three months while he was recovering from the stroke, he wasn't on the campaign trail. And Oz kept sending out these um, things on on social media saying, he's hiding, he's afraid of me, he's afraid to debate me, he's hiding at home. He was, he'd had a stroke and it just seemed kind of tasteless, especially for a doctor who kind of got it. And then when um, Fetterman made a very sort of witty quip back about the crudités, uh, Oz came back and said, well, maybe if you ate more vegetables, you wouldn't have had a stroke. Now, you know, oh. you, <laughs> you don't say that to a stroke victim. I'm sorry. No. You know, you just don't. It's not, it's just not nice. And again, no. he's a doctor. You know, at, whether you're a politician or a doctor or just a human being, you should know better. He could have just wished him well and wished him a speedy mm. recovery and left it at that. And but that, instead, that phrase, you should know better, seems oh, to be a defining sentence for an <laughs> awful lot of these people that we're about to talk about. Unfortunately, that's the end of part one of my conversation with Marion for this week. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad to hear the second half. You're going to want to hear who we go through next. And of course, you'll get access to all of our episodes going back over the last nine years. Hard to believe we're in year 10 of Irishman Abroad. But there's so when I look back on it, I'm like, holy moly. I sometimes look at it and go, I do not know how... I did it, but it's done and it's there for <laughs> it's you to there, enjoy. You did. <laughs> a fiver a month and you're all signed up and it will populate. You'll get a little RSS link that will paste easily into any podcast app. It populates with all of the episodes and they're fully searchable. So you can go all the way back to 2013 and listen to anything you want over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Best fiver they will ever spend, Jarlet, as I say. Can you even get a pack of crisps for a fiver now? A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.